Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, we're here with a special NFL free agency episode of Talking Ball with Pat Leonard. Want to get quickly to an ad read because we just have too much good stuff to get to on the NFL and all things free agency with our special guest. So Bet Online remains your number one source for all your college basketball betting this season. Get analysis of every play, prop, and point at Bet Online. You'll find the latest odds, bracket contests, team matchups, and game trends at Bet Online. Updated odds for everything from live games, the conference championships, right through to the Final Four and championship game. Bet Online is your college basketball headquarters this season. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to sign up and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Be sure to use your promo code BLEAV, that's all caps, B L E A V. To receive your bonus, betonline.ag, where the game starts. And where I start, it is an honor to have Mike Mayock on the podcast. You know him, former Raiders general manager, former NFL player, former NFL draft analyst, former color analyst for my Notre Dame Fighting Irish, rocking the green today. And Mike, really can't thank you enough for spending the time with us today. Well, Pat, you're a fellow Philly guy, so I I, got to come on with you, man. (laughs) I respect that and I appreciate that. And we'll get right in talking some green, but not Eagles green, New York Jets and Green Bay Packers green. Aaron Rodgers, Mike, saying his intention is to play for the New York Jets. And as you and I sit here today on St. Patrick's Day, the trade hasn't happened. So my first question for you is, we heard a list come out. Aaron Rodgers wants certain players to be a part of the Jets. Alan Lazard, Randall Cobb, Odell Beckham Jr., Mercedes Lewis. From a general manager's perspective, how do or how would you react to involving a player so directly in player personnel conversations and acquisitions? Well, it's not just any player, right? Um, you're, You're talking about a guy with 18 or 19 years in the league, a first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, not so different than Tom Brady when he went to Tampa Bay and he wanted to get Gronk and some of his guys. And and that was kind of met with open hands. Like, yeah, let's go get Gronk. Um, I, I think you have to put it in proper perspective. Do you want your players making decisions for you? No, of course not. And there's got to be a, a line there. However, with a guy that's been in the league so long and a guy who's influential amongst other players, if he could bring players in that make your team better, I think you'd be kind of ignorant not to at least try to accept that. So again, I think there's a line, but players talk because of social media, players talk now more than ever. They're all, they're locked in with other players around the league. They know who they want to play with. And if a guy like Aaron Rodgers says, hey, I'm really comfortable with this guy, then I think you take it in, you process it, and you make a decision on what's best for your team. So if you're Joe Douglas now and Rodgers announces that he wants to play for you and the Packers now see this as an opportunity to maybe get a little bit more, what are you willing to trade if you're Joe Douglas for Aaron Rodgers? Is there a drop-dead line you won't cross or is Rogers Rogers and you know a first or a first and a second is worth it? How do you view that? I think it's a, a really difficult question and an answer, Pat. Um, you have to look at it from both sides, okay? And this is a difficult deal to do because there's no true deadline. 
on the, and deadlines make deals happen. So on the one hand, you could say you got to get it done before the draft. You know, the draft is still, what, six, six weeks away. On the other hand, you could say that the option on that contract, I think, lives up until September 1st on that 58 or $59 million. So if you're the Packers, you could drag this thing out. So put yourself in, in the, the shoes of both general managers, okay? If I'm Joe Douglas, and by the way, I think Joe's done an amazing job with the rest of that roster. They've got one of the best young rosters in the entire league. They've got exciting, dynamic playmakers on both sides of the ball. Had they had a high-level quarterback or even a good quarterback last year, they were a playoff team. No doubt about it in my mind. Okay. So the next step is, okay, if you're, if you're a playoff team with a good quarterback, if you get a really good to high level elite quarterback, how deep can you get into the playoffs? And are you a Super Bowl team? So if you're Joe D, you're kind of sitting back there going, I need a quarterback. Uh, I drafted one, Zach Wilson. He's not ready to go. If Aaron Rodgers can come in and play anywhere near MVP level, who knows how deep we can get, right? So that's what Joe's thinking. The flip side, Brian Gutekunst and his guys are going, that's the worst case scenario for them. What happens if, if they move Aaron Rodgers for a second round pick or something and he takes them to the Super Bowl? A motivated Aaron Rodgers at age 39. If he plays at a high level – the Jets are going to be really, really good next year, okay? So the Giant, excuse me, the Packers' concern, if you're Gutekinds and the Packers, you're like, wow, if we give them up for a two or even a one, what if he goes out and takes this team to the Super Bowl this year? What if he plays three more years at a high level? We're going to look like we gave them away. Yeah. Okay? And so both sides are looking at it. There's no real time frame where a deal has to get done. You'd like to have it done prior to the draft, I think, if you're both parties. I think if you're good against what you're trying to do is you're trying to protect whatever you're going to get. And I think the way to do it is through contingencies. In other words, look, we'll give you pick a number. We'll give you a first round pick this year. Okay, but if he out if he plays at a high level or a certain percentage of snaps, then we're going to give you a pick next year also. Okay, if if you go to the Super Bowl, we're going to get another pick. If he plays in twenty four, not just twenty three, then we're going to want to pick in twenty five. So, I think there's a lot more layers of this thing than people really understand as far as trying to determine true value. I think that's well said. And not that this is apples to apples, but when you see you know, Jalen Ramsey going for a third, for example, if you're good, it's hard to look good in the eyes and tell him I'm giving you a three for Aaron Rodgers, right? They're both great players. But if you're good, you can understand why not only you would want more in the current market, but also you would especially want more to your point if Rodgers performs in New York so that the return matches what you gave up, or at least comes closer to matching what you gave up. So Now that they are locked in these negotiations, unresolved as of this moment, as you and I talk, if you were Joe D, if you were Joe Douglas in New York again, would you make a call to Baltimore? Would you consider and pursue possibly 
what Lamar Jackson would look like, not just as a contract, but as a trade and as an option if Rodgers didn't get done? Or would you have done that already prior to this? I think the answer to both is yes. The problem is you don't control that situation. Okay. You can give up two first round picks and offer them a fully guaranteed contract, but if Baltimore matches it, you're back at ground zero. Okay. So you, as, as uh, tantalizing as it looks, and I think somebody ought to be chasing Lamar in all honesty. I mean, I think somebody ought to force Baltimore's hands. And if it's not New York, I, I think Indianapolis, Washington, I, I think there's some teams out there that ought to be trying to force Baltimore's hand a little bit here. Um, but back to back to, you know, Joe Douglas and, and their decision, um, you know, they, they flirted with with Derek Carr. Um, if they, had they had Derek last year, like I they, they're a playoff team um, somehow. Both parties have to get a deal done, and it's very public, and Aaron Rodgers can put a lot of pressure by himself on these negotiations. And again, what I go back to, Pat, I think the fair thing for both sides is tying this deal into a contingency. So depending on how long he plays and how well he plays, the Jets are going to give more draft draft capital back to Green Bay. I agree with you that that's the best resolution. I agree with you also that it's crazy. No one's taken a run at Lamar yet. I think the Atlanta Falcons, a team that was in deep for Deshaun Watson, the fact that they are not chasing Lamar Jackson now is insane to me. Not to mention he would be a great fit in that offense. So lockstep with you there. Now pivoting over to uh, the other team here in New York, the New York Giants just acquired a player that you know well, Darren Waller, a special tight end for a third round pick. And I wanted to ask you, as somebody who was a general manager when Darren was on the Raiders for three seasons there, what kind of teammate, player, and person is he from somebody who knows him way better than, than I do or that New York uh, does at the moment? Let's start with person. He's an extraordinary person. I think most people know the, the background of his addiction, okay? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure people know how um, deep the addiction was and how he had to get to ground zero before he could climb out of that hole. And because of what he's done and the level he's maintained himself, how he's given back to the community, he's got a foundation that helps people that have the same issues he has. Um, I think he's an amazing person. His work ethic is off the chart. Um, it mat- Football matters to him. Um, I think being a good person matters even more to him. So, the backdrop to, you know, what are the Giants getting? They're getting a quality individual. And then from a football perspective, I think he's going to be 31, I want to say, in August or September. Um, he had two huge years in his career. You know, I mean, just where he was a monster in 2019 and 2020. He had almost 200 catches. He had over 1,100 yards. Um, you know, this guy, I don't care, forget labels. I don't care if you call him a tight end, a wide out, but forget the label. He's a disruptive playmaker. And that's what the Giants lacked last year. I did their game uh, at Washington late in the year, and I did the game at Minnesota in the playoffs. And here's what I know. Dayball did a great job. That coaching staff did a great job. They got everything out of that team. I thought it was awesome. I thought Wink did a great job. 
But on offense, watching their tape, it was hard because Daniel Jones played his tail off. He used his legs to help them win a bunch of games, go to that Minnesota playoff game, and his legs might have been the difference in that game, not not just his arm. So I give the Giants – they're playing with uh, Hodgins and they're playing with – they got injuries everywhere and they win a playoff game on the road. Now, it's painfully obvious they need dynamic playmakers. And again, you know, great job by Shane and his guys. They they get the quarterback deal done. Um, they got Barkley back for another year. Um, but they need playmakers, and that's what Waller is. So on a risk-reward scenario and a trade, you know, which is the way I look at it, the, the risk is very little. You know, it's pick number 100 at the end of the third round. The reward potentially is huge. So I think for the Giants, it was a great move and a move they had to make. From a real X's and O's football standpoint, could you explain to me and the fans, you know, you like you said, you called some of the Giants games, you, you watched their offense play last year in Dable's first season. How specifically do you envision Waller helping them open, open it up? And as a uh, side note, is his – lower catch percentage over the last couple years um, a, concern, a concern as well. So I guess that's a twofold question. One, how exactly does he help Daniel Jones in this offense go? And two, are the drops or lower catch percentages an issue? I think I'll answer number two first, and that is that um, I think everything was tied into the injuries and the availability. He's trying to play hurt. He's got a hammy. Um when, when you when you're 255 pounds and you run sub four five and you got a hamstring, you're not the same guy anymore. And it affects That's all of you. Well said, Mike. It affects well all of you. Okay. Um, so I think when he's healthy, the three best tight ends who are special in the NFL are the, the cat in Kansas City, Kelsey, the guy in San Francisco, Kittle, and and this guy, Waller. They're, they're special and they're different, but Waller's got to be healthy to continue to do that. So that's, that's answers your, to me, your second question. So it's all about his availability and health there. The first question schematically, man, the only limit you have is the creativity of your offensive coaching staff. You can line him up anywhere and he's a mismatch. And the problem is if you put him out wide, you want to play a corner on him. He, he's too big and too strong on one-on-one throws. 50-50 throws are no longer 50-50, right? Hmm. If you put a linebacker on him, forget it. He's, he's an athletic mismatch. And even athletic safeties, he's too big, too strong, too fast, too agile, and creates separation. So if you don't double-team him on and off throughout a game, he's going to win. Okay, so when you ask me how are the Giants going to use them, they're going to use them everywhere they can line them up, in line, slot, out wide, in crack motion, whatever they can, especially in man-to-man situations where he can use his height, weight, speed to a physical advantage. I mean, it's – I think – and as they continue, you know, they get Wandale Robinson back, 
you know, as they continue to get some of the guys that were hurt back, if they can continue to add players through free agency. Um, like when we were with the, the Raiders and, and we had Hunter Renfro, it was really difficult to double team both of them. Okay. And then when you put Josh Jacobs back there, it was really difficult. You say, okay, now which one of these guys do you want to, especially in the red zone? So I, I think the Giants coaching staff, I think Kafka, I, I, I think all those guys are going to go, man, this is awesome. You're getting Giants fans excited. And so obviously the Giants have a close eye on the Eagles, Cowboys, and Washington when they're doing these things. And conversely, the Eagles and Cowboys are trying to retool to continue to stay strong in an NFC East that really bounced back last year. And so we always have a close eye on this division. Um, it's, it seems like they're, it's neck and neck, day to day moves going back and forth between these teams. I'm wondering, as you look at how the Eagles have proceeded after their Super Bowl appearance, how the Cowboys are starting to retool, how the Giants have added, and what Washington's done. Do you see the NFC East uh, balance of power changing? What intrigues you? What catches your eye when you look at uh, this division that really stood tall in 2022? Yeah, one, one name just stands out for me, and, and um, it's not a player, and it's not a coach. It's Howie Roseman. And as a Philly guy, I find it really ironic that, you know, six years ago they were trying to run him out of town. And two Super Bowl appearances later, he's the toast of the league. And nobody's doing it better than than how he is. I thought the Eagles roster was the best in the league top to bottom last year. They had a whole bunch of free agent free agents this year. And I look at it and I just start laughing again because, you know, where did Howie prioritize it was at the positions that traditionally he always has, as has Andy Reid when Andy was in Philly. I mean, basically, if Sayomalu comes back, the two big question marks left are Sayomalu and, and Chancey Gardner-Johnson. But if Sayomalu comes back, they've got their entire offensive line back. Kelsey's back for another year, and he's still freaking good. Lane Johnson, Mylotta is a beast at left tackle. So – if Sayomalo comes back, they get the whole line back. And even if he doesn't, they're going to be a top five line in the offense in the league. Look at the corners. You know, they re-signed Bradbury, who the who the Giants weren't able to, to sign last year. They thought they were going to lose Slay. They got him to an extension. And then yesterday they come out and they sign um the, uh, Greedy Williams from Cleveland, yep. who is right. a, a second round pick. And when he's healthy. He's a high-level corner. So the Eagles have three high-level corners. Their defensive line, they had 70 sacks. The D-line's going to be as good. Um, they signed Marcus Mariota to be their backup quarterback. Um, they lost Hargrave. They lost both their off-the-ball linebackers. So what did Howie do? He prioritized the critical positions, the offensive line, uh, the corners, the backup quarterback, the D-line, and where did he let himself at risk? Off the ball linebackers and running back, and then he went and signed Rashad Penny anyway. So I, I think the entire league, not just the NFC East, I think the entire league is still looking up at the Eagles as far as talent is concerned. And you can speak to this too, Mike, where one thing I noticed watching the whole league and then looking at the Eagles, I think, as the team that does it best, you know, 
owners want to win now and general managers and coaches, I feel like have never had more pressure on them to get the team there right away, even if it's not realistic. And Howie just seems to do what lots of people, it's not easy, but he seems to always have young players coming in to um, supplement what's there while consistently being able to hold on to his best veterans as well. I know I've talked to people in the salary cap world who say that the Eagles are excellent at kind of making the money work in that sense. But uh, I guess, you know, it's a question for you is just, it looks difficult from the outside, but how hard is it to sustain success as a GM and not just create it, if that makes sense? No, it's a great question. And I think when you go back to say, uh, I was drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers in 1981 and they were coming off four Super Bowls in the 70s. And you could keep those teams together because of the lack of free agency, right? There was the players right. had no choices. So right. the league is basically set up for parity because of the draft system. And because of free agency with hard caps, unlike other professional sports leagues, right? The salary cap is real and it's hard. You can do some things, but sooner or later, you're going to have to pay. You're going to rob Peter to pay Paul and, and it. Eventually, it wears out. Howie came up on the salary cap side. He's brilliant as far as managing money, number one. Number two, I think the hard part is having a vision and having the ability to consistently execute it under pressure from outside sources and sometimes from your owner. Okay, And I think Howie and Jeffrey Lurie, are on the same page. Jeffrey has supported Howie through thick and thin, okay? And they look at things hard. They talk it out. But the, the, the owner, the GM, and the head coach are on the same page. So even though they might make a decision that we as fans don't like, it's still consistent with what the overall plan and the philosophy of the organization is. And to your point a minute ago, as far as the longevity, keep – the consistency, I think there are way too many owners in the NFL that are given up on talented people too quickly. And then every two or three years, you got to rebuild and you can't win in the NFL. Winning uh, consistently is hard. And I would take it one step further. I would say there are probably seven or eight teams in the league that operate at a high level, a functional level with a clear, consistent thought process that allows them to win consistently. I think the other 23, four, five teams eliminate themselves on an annual basis. That's fascinating, Mike. Uh, you know, the NFL is better with your voice in it. Uh, the NFL is better with you in it. This podcast is better to have your voice on it. And um, I really can't thank you enough for sharing your insight your analysis. You have uh, forgotten more football than I know, <laughs> but you have educated me and the Giants and NFL world here today. Um, thank you so much for coming on Talking Ball and uh, hopefully not the last time. My pleasure, Pat. Good, good catching up, man. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.